your heart needs way more than a simple home improvement. And it's definitely not a do-it-yourself project. What would it look like to give yourself entirely to God and earnestly seek Him in every area of your life? Let God renovate and renew your heart as He makes it His home. When I gave my life to Jesus, I told him, Lord, I want this heart of mine to be yours. I want to have you settle down here and make my heart your home. Everything I have belongs to you. Let me show you around. This week, Jesus and I entered the dining room, the room of appetites and desires. I spent a lot of time and hard work here trying to satisfy my wants. I said to him, this is my favorite room. I'm quite sure you'll be pleased with what we serve. He seated himself at the table with me and asked, what's on the menu for dinner? Well, I said, my favorite dishes are money, investments, and academic degrees, with the side dishes of internet articles about fame and fortune. These were the things I liked in a secular meal. When the food was placed before him, he said nothing, but I observed that he did not eat it. I said to him, Master, don't you care for your food? He answered, I have food to eat that you do not know of. If you want food that really satisfies you, do the will of the Father. Stop seeking your own pleasures, desires, and satisfaction. Seek to please him. That is the food that will satisfy you. There at the table, he gave me a taste of the joy of doing God's will. What flavor? There is no food like it in the world, and it alone satisfies. If you're visiting this morning, we're doing a series called My Heart, Christ's Home, which just, it's a very old little pamphlet that just tells the story of what you've been hearing at the beginning of each service. This morning, last week, what we did was we looked at the mind, and we looked at, we called it the study, that place where our thoughts reside. And we talked about what would it look like if we surrendered our thoughts to the Lord, if we let him be the Lord and the leader of all that we put into our minds. Well, this morning, we're visiting the dining room. It's the place of desires. And just like last week when we talked about how the mind impacts all the choices and decisions that we make, in a very similar way, the mind is responding to our ultimate desires. Is the things that we are passionate about are the things that we pursue in our lives. As Tim said, we can claim that Jesus is the Lord of our life and really not follow him. We follow all these other things and we don't think about how God is leading and guiding, but we're driven by the things that we ultimately believe, by the things that we have hearts, and by being Lord of our hearts, then he is Lord of our lives. That first week, we focused on a passage that came out of Ephesians 3, but I want to show you another passage that talks about this. There are many. In First um, John, we read this, whoever keeps his commandments, whoever obeys the commandments of God, <clears throat> abides in God, lives in God, and God in them. So through my obedience 
is a reflection that I'm allowing Jesus to be the Lord of my life. I'm following him, obeying his commandments, and it becomes a sign that the Lord is in me, and indeed, I am in him. And then we go on to see, and by this, by this reality, we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. So that becomes the assurance that I belong to God. It's the assurance that I am his child. And so what we're talking about in this series is living out this very verse. Because as we look at these different areas of our lives, first, our mind. Today, we're looking at our desires. As we look at each of these areas of our lives, we're asking the question, what would it look like? What would it mean for me to let Jesus be the one who leads and guides me in that area of my life? What would it look like for me to submit fully to the lordship of Jesus in that area? Well, this morning, we're talking about our desires. Now, desires are very powerful. The things that I hunger for, the things that I thirst for, the things that I look to for satisfaction and fulfillment, those are the things that I will tend to pursue in this life. Now, where do those things come from? Well, often they come from our culture, as we'll see from 1 John 2. Often, they are things that come from our culture that we believe and we allow to change and transform us in such a way that instead of seeking the things that God wants us to seek, we are seeking the things and passionate about the things that our culture and our world is passionate about. And then we wonder, why am I so weary? Why am I not content and satisfied? Why do I feel like I'm being driven by the waves and the currents of my culture and the waves and the currents that affect my life through my circumstances? It's because our desires are not aligned with the desires that God has for us. And so this morning, we're going to talk about desires because they are incredibly powerful. Here's the first thing that I want you to see. Beware of your desires. Beware of your desires. This is a warning that comes throughout the New Testament and the Old Testament, but particularly here, we want to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 and 16. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to understand what this verse is saying, and then we're going to break it down. As I do, I want to illustrate it through the life of Jesus from Luke chapter 4, looking at the three temptations that he faces. Each of these temptations is reflected in this verse. And these are temptations that you and I face where we have to make the decision. Is the Lord going to be my, my top priority, my deepest and most profound passion? Or am I going to allow the things the world values to be my passion? Your answer to that question will take you in two completely different places. So let's look at what this, first of all, what this verse says. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, now he's going to describe what's in the world, the desires of the world, the desires of the flesh, and the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. 
These things are not from the Father, but are from the world. Now, to understand this verse, I want to just help us to understand two key words in the verse, these verses. And then what I want to do is to illustrate the pride of the eyes. We want to look at the desires of the eyes and the de- these desires, that the, wor- the desires of the flesh and the pride of life, these three areas that, that overwhelm us because we get this message time and again from our culture. These are the things that matter. These are the things that matter. These are the things that will give you life. These are the things that will fulfill, fulfill you. Friends, that's a lie. And when we believe this lie, we end up going in a direction we don't want to go. We end up living in a way that God never intended. And we know when we are not living as God intended, there's, we know deep within us that there's something wrong. And so God wants us to live with his desires. At the end, I'm going to share with you how we can begin to align the desires of God with our desires. But here I want you to see this. He says, first of all, he talks about the world. Now remember, when he talks about the world, he's not talking about people. We are never to hate people. We're not talking about that. The world represents the systems, the values, the passions of our culture. And many of these do not align with the passions that God has for us, the desires that God wants us to live with. And so we have to ask this question, am I allowing the desires of the world to drive me? Is that really what I'm seeking in my life, or am I seeking the desires that God wants for me, the desires of the kingdom of God? We read in Ephesians 6, 10 to 20, that our enemy is not flesh and blood, our enemy is not people, our enemy is Satan, who is working in culture to transform us through the values of the worldly culture that we live in. Friends, I am susceptible to this like each one of you are. Now, the second word I want you to see in this is the word love. You see this word love repeated in this passage. It has to do with taking pleasure in something. It has to do with what it is that we want and we love, what we care about. It's the things that we value. So listen to this again. Do not love, do not value, do not be passionate about the things that the world is passionate about. If anyone loves the world, in other words, if anyone is making the values of our culture where they're inconsistent with the values of God as the priority and the passion of their life, the love of the Father is not in them. For all that is in the world, described as the desires of the flesh, The desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is uh, from the world. Now, let's look at this. We see, when we see in the world, that phrase represents our impulses, our desires, our passions, our motivations, literally our spiritual identity. Because what we are passionate about what our, where our desires are leading us, that becomes our identity. Wealth is a big God of our culture. It becomes, when it becomes my desire or success becomes my ultimate desire, then what happens is I become 
a slave serving that desire which is contrary to where, how God wants me to live. Now, let's, let's look at this together. Let's break it down. First of all, with the desires of the flesh. What does that mean, desires of the flesh? What it has to do with are the things that I, my body desires, those things that will satisfy my flesh. Now, what are the things that satisfy our flesh? These things that I'm going to mention, none of the things I'm going to mention are bad in and of themselves. Just when they become our priority as the world wants them to be. Just as they become our deepest passion, do they become a problem. In their proper place, they're appropriate. In their proper place, they're okay. So let me give you an example. My body craves food. I'm alone in that, aren't I? My body craves food. I should eat food. My body needs food. But what happens is, food for many has, has become what they look to to be satisfied and content. It can become even a God in and of itself in that we turn to food when we're depressed. We turn to food when we're sad. We turn to food to make us feel better instead of looking to God. Instead of seeking God. For many people, this becomes a problem in their lives. This is why the church, for many years, has practiced the discipline of fasting from food. Because we learn to say no to the flesh. We learn to say no to desires. Nothing wrong with food in its proper place. There's nothing wrong with food. But it becomes a problem when we look to food to satisfy us. We're going to see more about that in just a moment. Drink is another one. We have to drink to survive. Obviously, drinking is not a problem. Unless it goes to an extreme. Alcohol. In the Bible, the Bible's not against alcohol. It's against taking too much alcohol, drinking too much alcohol, becoming drunk, becoming a slave to alcohol. When alcohol is a problem is when we need that drink in order to relax. Once we start looking to alcohol to relax instead of looking to the Lord and his peace, we're walking down the wrong path. And many of you know that it can grab you and you become a slave to it. Drugs are much the same way. These are just examples. Another big one in our sex-crazed culture is our sexuality. We're told constantly that we're not going to be whole apart from having sex with someone and having someone desire us. This is why the Bible says that in seasons it's appropriate if the husband and wife agree to abstain in order to seek the Lord together. What are they doing? They are learning to discipline their lives so that they are not driven by these fleshly desires. Now, there's nothing wrong with any of the things I've just talked about unless they become the thing that drive us, unless they become a desire that is greater in us than our desire to be with the Lord and to love the Lord. Now, listen to what happens. In Luke chapter 4, there are three temptations that Jesus faces. The first is the desire of the flesh. As we read, as we read in this passage, 
Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan River and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness. This is right after he was baptized. Where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Okay, now, he ate nothing during those days. So for 40 days he hadn't eaten. Now, I've never fasted for 40 days. I've fasted for a week. I've never gone 40 days. I can tell you, I got, there are periods I got very hungry. I can't imagine 40 days. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them, he was hungry. No surprise. So what does the devil say to him? If you are the Son of God, tell the stone to become bread. Jesus, you can satisfy that desire. You can satisfy that desire of the flesh. Here's the problem. The problem isn't that he would eat food. The problem is that he would disobey his Father in heaven by turning that stone into bread in order to satisfy a fleshly desire. Friends, our desires are often driven by what we have learned in our culture through the books we read, through the movies we watch, through the songs we listen to. It's, it's, we're bombarded by these messages, and it begins to mold and shape our desires. It's our desire to, every time I'm hungry, to feed myself. Every time I'm thirsty, or I'm, I'm nervous, or I'm upset, or I need to unwind, turning to alcohol. We begin to turn to these things, and then we become slaves of these very same things that we're turning to. So how does Jesus respond? He says to Satan, man, it is written, man shall not live by bread alone. Sometimes when I am tempted, I will say those words out loud. Man was not created to live by bread alone. I shall not live by bread alone. I shall not, I shall not feed my fleshly desires as the ultimate desire of my life. Fasting is a spiritual discipline that we don't talk about much in, in our country in the, this century because we're used to just satisfying ourselves whenever, whenever we want. But what if we began to learn the discipline of saying no? God, I don't want that to be the thing that drives me. I want to be driven by Jesus. Here's the second one, and that's the desires of the eyes. The desires of the eyes. What is the desires of the eyes? Well, it's lots of things. It's looking at something in order to get a reaction or looking at something that leads me in a direction I should not be going. So desire of the eyes could be, um, in its worst form, it becomes pornography. I need to look at something in order to get a hit out of that. And the culture tells me that that's going to, that's going to meet my needs and I'm going to feel better by doing this. And all that it does is create deeper and more profound shame and brokenness in us and in our key relationships. We allow things to come into our eyes because we do a lot of shopping. And, and when we're down, we realize, well, I feel better when I buy something for myself. When I get something, that makes me feel better. Instead of turning to the Lord and saying, Lord, I'm struggling right now. I don't want to resolve what I'm feeling by shopping. 
Or another one is, I'm always looking at what other people have, and I'm envious, and I want, I covet what they have, which is breaking the commandment, one of the Ten Commandments. I covet what my neighbor has, because I bring this in through my eyes, and I want it. And I believe that if I just had that, I'm one purchase away from really being safe, really being secure, really being satisfied, really being happy. Can you relate to this? It's a disease of our culture. It's something we struggle with as a culture because we're bombarded by the message. If you just had this, all of life's problems would go away. Isn't that what commercials are about? You see this? How can you live without it? I need it. I remember when my little, uh, my youngest was um, being a good parent, I plopped her in front of the TV while I was getting the other kids ready for school, and she was watching cartoons, and, and then every once in a while, she, I think she was two at the time, I'd hear this little voice, I want that, I want that, and I knew she was watching a commercial, and I realized she's no different than her daddy. Because that's me. That shiny thing goes, I want that. That's going to make me happy. That's going to solve all my problems. I want that. That's going to bring contentment and satisfaction to my life. Not the Lord, but this. And maybe the Lord doesn't want me to have it. So let's look at the second temptation Jesus faced. It's the desires of the eyes. The devil led it up to a high place and showed him, so Look at this, Jesus, showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Oh, my goodness. You mean everything? Yeah, everything. It's yours. See all that gold? That's yours. See those incredible houses? That's yours. Anything you want, it's yours. I'm giving it to you if you just worship me. What's Satan doing? He's appealing to the humanity of Jesus and our fallen sinful nature, which Jesus did not have, to want things, to feel whole. I want that, I want that. But Jesus... His desire was to obey the Father. His desire was to be in relationship with the Father. That was his deepest, most profound desire. That was the desire that was driving him. And because of that, he responds, it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So Jesus is reminding himself, he's reminding Satan, this is what the word of God says. Do not worship your possessions do not worship your money. Do not worship things. And yet our world encourages us to look to things for identity, to look to things for meaning, to look to things for purpose, to look to things to feel content in life. And then there's the third area, and that is the pride of life. What is the pride of life? Essentially, it's what we look to to define who we are, to feed our sense of identity, to make me feel like I'm okay. 
You see, our identity should be rooted in the reality that the God of the universe sent his son to die for us, that he loves us, that he has made us, adopted us to be his eternal children. That, my friends, is our identity. I am a child of God. That's who I am. But what I'm encouraged by my culture to do is to define myself by how much wealth I have or how athletic I am or how, I, how, how successful I am. That's always a challenge for pastors. And we struggle with that just like everybody else does. Defining ourselves by the values of the world and not by the values of the kingdom of God. And so I end up desiring things like possessions and wealth and success and physical health and beauty and education and degrees and fame. All those things that the world says is going to bring the contentment, is going to bring the joy that we can only find in a right relationship with God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's the truth. And without this desire to earnestly seek after God, if we make our ultimate desire to be successful or to be wealthy or to be famous, if we make that our ultimate goal, then we are going to miss out on the wonderful things that God has for us. Listen to what happened in the third, in the, in the third temptation of Jesus. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift, up, lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. So now Satan is quoting scripture against Jesus, saying, Jesus, prove who you are, the pride of life. Show me that you are who you claim to be. I don't believe it. If this is who you really are, let me see it. It's kind of like, it's kind of like the, um, somebody challenging you and we kind of stick at our chest and say, no, you're not going to push me around. And we find pride and identity in the things the world values because the world does not value loving God. The world does not value serving God. But Jesus says, this is the way of life. So how does Jesus respond? Jesus answered, it is said, it is written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. And so Jesus, as Satan is trying to appeal to his pride, Jesus responds, I belong to God and I will not put him to the test. Friends, these three areas we all struggle with, every single one of us. So what's the anecdote to this? Well, here's what we read. We read in Matthew 6, verses 30 and following, that we are to seek first God's kingdom. Now listen to this. this he's going to be talking about what can become the desires of the flesh. Listen to what he says. Jesus is teaching in the Sermon on the Mount. He says, if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So don't worry saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For the pagans run after all these things and your heavenly father knows that you need them. Rather, instead, but seek first the kingdom of God 
and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you as well. Don't be seeking after these things. Now, we need clothing. We need to eat. We need to drink. But what he's saying is don't let your first and primary desire be fulfilling those needs. Let your first and primary desire be seeking God, wanting to know God, wanting to love God. Let that be the ultimate desire of your life, the one that drives you in your life. And then, and then, and then, all these things that you really need will be added unto you. And then he reminds us that this is really an issue of faith. Do I believe God at his word? Do I believe him? So what do we do about this? I just want to, as we, as we end this morning, I want to just share with you a process that is helpful to go through. And I'm going to be sharing from Psalm 37. I, I just fell in love with Psalm 37 this week as I was preparing this sermon. And there's so much that God did in my heart, in my life, in my mind as I read through and studied Psalm 37. So I'm going to share a little bit of Psalm 37. But listen what it says in verse 4. Well, number one, ask the Lord. God, give me the desires of your heart. God, transform me by transforming what I desire and long for, what I want, what I desire, what I'm passionate for. Lord, give me your passions. Give me your desires. Lord, transform me, change me to seek the things, to want to seek the things that you want for me. And listen to what we read. Take delight in the Lord. What does that mean? It means be passionate about God in such a way that we will follow him and make him the ultimate priority of our lives. He says this, take delight in the Lord and he will give you what? What does it say there? He will give you the what? Desires of your heart. I want the desires that God, des- I want the things that God desires. I want to desire the things that he wants because so much of what I do is impacted by what I desire. And I've got to learn to say no to a lot of things in life that God doesn't really want for me. Um, I've not done a real good job lately in disciplining my body, as you can see, um, by what I'm eating. I've been eating not good. I did really well for about eight months, and then I fell off the wagon. And what I found is the more sugar I eat, the more I think I need to eat it. Anybody else find that? It's an addiction. It just draws cookies, (laughs) chocolate M&Ms, actually peanut butter M&Ms. Not peanut M&Ms, folks. There's a big difference. Peanut butter M&Ms. Take delight in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of of your heart. You know what I need to do? I need to learn again to say no. I need to practice the discipline because I'm a, I have to be a steward of my body and my health. Not that I'll have that great beach bod, but so that I will have the energy and strength at the end of my life to serve the Lord. We, keep, we continue. Choose to live with an eternal perspective. I love this, and I'm just going to go through these uh, here pretty quickly. But commit your way to the Lord. 
Trust in him, and this is what he will do. He will make your righteous rewards shine like, like the dawn, your vindication like the noonday sun. Wow, what a great passage. And then in Matthew 4, 21, it says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moths and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. It's just not good investment. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven with your time, your energy, your money, your possessions where you give for the kingdom of God where moths and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is. Okay, listen to this. For where your treasure is, where your passions are, where, what it is that you really love, what it is you really value, where all that is, there your heart will be also. So if I really value and treasure my relationship with God, I will seek him as the first priority of my life. But I get so derailed and I get so sidetracked by the flesh, by the eyes, by my pride. And I have to learn to battle those. This is such a good reminder to me in studying this this week. And then third, count the cost of living with ungodly desires. Psalm 37, 35, and 36, I have seen a wicked and ruthless man flourishing like a luxuriant native tree, but he soon passed away and was no more. Though I looked for him, he could not be found. (laughs) It's a great passage. He died. I couldn't find him. And it was done. He was done. That was it. He was over. God is saying, count the cost of not living in a way that he wants us to live. And then we read this in, Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. He's speaking of what we bring into our lives through our eyes. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light within you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Friends, when I seek things of our culture, I become a slave to those things. I know this by experience. But when I seek first the kingdom of God, I become a slave to the Lord who loves me. And through that relationship, I receive life. I receive life. And then finally, develop a life biblical purpose statement. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be as well. What do you want What do you want to live for? Friends, what I have found really helpful for me in life is to have clear vision, clear purpose, clear design. And so that's why we developed a a, a vision statement and a purpose statement here at Crosspoint so that it keeps us focused in the direction that we need to go because there's so many things that will pull us in different directions. And then we're so scattered, we're not accomplishing anything. Same is true for our lives. So I want to share with you very quickly, I'm just going to run through these. And you may, if you find one that kind of hits your heart, write down the passage and look at it and memorize it. And every time you're tempted to live in a way that is a a desire of the flesh, a desire of the eyes, or uh, or pride of life, when those come into your life, and they will daily, you can speak against it through the power of the Word of God. Let me just share a few with you. And I love this one. Now, when David 
Now, when David had served God's purpose in his own generation, he died. <laughs> That's kind of a summary of, of David's life. When David had served God's purpose in his generation, he fell asleep. He died. What if, what if that was your, your life verse? I'm going to serve God in my generation, which means I'm going to live out God's purposes in Chino, California in the year 2023. I'm going to work in my workplace. I'm going to live out God's purposes. In, in school, I'm going to live out God's purposes. In my neighborhood, I'm going to live out God's purposes. In my relationships, I'm going to live out God's purposes. So the last, I take my last breath, I'll say, I lived out God's purposes in my generation, and then I died. And I'll cease talking at that point. <laughs> Philippians 3, 10, 11, is, I, I've always loved this. I want to know Christ, Paul says. I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection. Can you imagine living with the power of the resurrection of Jesus? That's what he's, Paul's saying. That's what he wants. He says, I want to live, I want to know the power of his resurrection, I want to participate in his sufferings, I want to be willing to suffer for Jesus, I want to become like him in his death. And then he says, and so somehow attain to the resurrection from the dead. And then in Philippians chapter 3 verse 13, but one thing I do, Paul says, I forget what's behind me, I strain toward what's ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ. Here's another one. You, uh, some of you know this one, but as for me and my household, we will what? We will serve the Lord. Here's another one. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but it's Christ who lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So it means, can you imagine in your relationships where you said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but it's Christ living out his purposes through me. How might that transform your relationships? Instead of being a taker in a relationship, you're now a giver. Instead of just always receiving and I serve, how can I love? And then finally, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. These are just, I mean, there are hundreds of them that you could choose from. But what if you memorized one of those and you said, okay, when I face the desire of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, when I face the pride of life, I'm going to respond as Jesus did with the word of God. Friends, when you respond as Jesus did, there's power. There's power. He modeled that for us. Will you pray with me? Father, thank you for the love that you have for your people. God, this, man, this stuff is just so powerful because your word just always speaks to us, changes us, it transforms us, it challenges us. And Father, my prayer is for your people here today, here in this, in this room, those who will be watching online. Father, my prayer is that for each and every one of us, we would look hard at the desires that, that are the real desires of our life and where they reflect the values of the world and not the values of the kingdom of God. We pray, Lord Jesus, that you would set us free by the power, by the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may live lives 
of great impact, great freedom, marked by peace, joy, and love. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.